Hey, what's up? It's Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, I talked to one of my favorite minds in MMA, Dan Hardy, about his career, the UFC, and his beef with Tyron Woodley. I also catch up with an up-and-comer who won last Saturday in the UFC, Alexander the Great Hernandez, about the mentality of being a great fighter. Dan Hardy, uh, how you doing, my man? So glad to see you again, bud. I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well, man. Miss you. I miss, I miss I know, that social voice working with you, bro. Come on. In a while, <laughs> man. We'll have to get back on the same, the same product again at some point. Anytime, man. Anytime. So first off, before we get into anything else, um, did you ever check out the UFC last Saturday, man? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. Johnny Walker was one of those guys we thought when he came out with his build and his range, his explosive style, we thought he could give John Jones problems, right? That was like the initial, but we thought finally a guy, his range and his height and all this stuff. And I think he has underperformed and underwhelmed certainly in his last few fights. What are your thoughts on that, man? You know, I, I agree, but I think I think he was a little bit caught in the expectations of everybody. You know, I mean, yeah. if you think about it, he came into the UFC and he was smashing people with elbows in the first minute of the fight. And, and he was looking like he was the next, the, you know, the next killer of the division. But he was he was effective because he's, you know, six foot six. He's got an 82 inch reach and he flies at people with the full intention and belief that he's going to land something to knock them out. And, you know, when that when that didn't work out for him against Corey, it started to unravel a little bit. And even in the Ryan Spann fight, you know, he was knocked down twice in that fight before he was able to finish him with those those Travis Brown elbows and hammer fists. I, I think the pressure on him now is to perform. And I, and, I mean, another good thing to bear in mind is the very first event the UFC had with no crowd was when he were lost to Krilov. And it was just a really slow decision. You know, in Brasilia, he was just kind of drowned with pressure and he didn't rise to the occasion. And I think maybe that's made him question himself a little bit. And a lot of his, his game is built on confidence. You know, he, he has to have the confidence to go flying at people. And, you know, I said it in my war room uh, last week. I kind of felt like this might be a bit of a stalemate because they're both chaotic fighters. Neither of them have a particular plan, but they have lots of weapons that are effective if they have the confidence to throw them on the table. And, and neither of them really seemed very confident. I mean, Santos, not since his knee surgeries and Walker, not since he's been clipped by Corey Anderson. Uh, when you, when you talk about that pressure that that Johnny Walker was facing, Thiago Santos, a guy who generally got it done by finish, generally got it done quickly. Have you been in a fight where the expectation to do something dramatic was an issue? Because when you when you look at it that way, that pressure may have gotten to both guys. Have you been in a fight yourself where man, everybody kind of expects fireworks here? I have to deliver. Was that ever something that was in your mind in your professional career, man? Yeah, there, there was a fight because so the, the the fight that won me my UFC contract was a knockout over a guy called Chad Ryan on Cage Warriors. But I already had a, a fight scheduled for a couple of weeks after that, which I'd committed to. And you know the UFC contract was already there for me. And I remember Joe Silver calling me up and saying, you know, if, if you lose this fight, the contract's off the table. And I'm like, yeah, but I've, you know, I've, I've already committed. I'm doing the I'm doing the fight. And he was a good guy. It was Daniel Weishel fights for Bellator right yep. now. You know, he's a, no a, a real no. talented grappler. And obviously the full expectation was that I was coming there to get a big win and then celebrate the fact that my UFC contract was sitting cage side. And in actuality, it just ruined my head for the first round. Like the whole of the first round, I had this expectation because I'd said to Joe Silver, um, if I can't beat this guy, I don't belong in the UFC. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah. my own expectations of myself started to mount. And that first round was, was just awful. 
And, you know, Johnny Walker does love to perform. You know, he's like the little tripping up the stage on the way to the, uh, the face-offs and all that that he used to do. Like, he's there to perform for the crowd. And I think when, when, when his confidence has been rattled because he's, been, he's taken a couple of shots and been dropped, now that undermines his whole game because it's based on that confidence to go flying at his opponent. And, you know, I think, to be honest, he's in the right place because Kavanagh's going to do good things with his basics. And I think he did look better technically and more calm. But the Johnny Walker that we know is the guy that gets you out of there in seconds with elbows. And that's not what we saw against Santos. I'm talking to Dan Hardy, of course, commentator extraordinaire, one of my favorite people to work with on commentary and on broadcast. Um, I want you to put on your commentator hat for a second. I'm going to tell you a story. Now, this is in reference to Kevin Holland versus Kyle Dawkins and their unintentional clash of heads. I was calling a fight, and it was um, a guy named Frodo Hospolayev. He was from, like, Dagestan or something. He came into Bellator, and he was fighting a guy named Marlon Sandro, and there was a low blow, and I'm commentating the fight, and Big John's the referee, and he says on mic, and we caught it on mic, he says, uh, all right, that, that, I don't think that was a bad shot, man. I'm only giving you two minutes. And I'm on a headset. I'm like, he can't do that. He, it's either a low blow and it's five minutes or it's not a low blow and has to keep fighting. John can't decide. And so as a commentator, those those moments you go, oh, they he can't do that. Or like there's some rule application that you go, well, I don't know what to tell you, folks, because he's not supposed to do that. Um, I've seen fights stopped in between rounds. The guy didn't get a chance to get up, didn't even say get up. They just waved off the fight. I'm like, he doesn't have to get up. You know what I mean? Like I've, 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 where I've been at odds with the rules. What did you think with your commentator hat on of this situation that seemed to drag on? It seemed like everyone was confused. Nobody knew which way to go. Brendan Fitzgerald said he thought it was Kyle Dawkins by submission. Then he has to correct himself on air. Uh, first, in general, how are those situations? I know you've been in them. Secondly, what did you think of this one? I mean, it, it, was, it was awkward because it was a chaotic flurry from the moment they clashed heads to the moment that the fight was finished by Rene Choke. And I understand that Mogliotta was in a situation where, you know, Holland went down face first. He was clearly very hurt by that clash of heads. Mogliotta was sure it was a clash of heads, but because Holland was back into it, he let the fight go. He gave him the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's like the play on rule in soccer. It's like, yeah, OK, you know, it, it might have been a foul, but let's you, the advantage might be in your favor. Because it was so chaotic, and that's kind of how Kevin Holland fights anyway, I think Mogliotta did the right thing to let it continue because jumping in there and, and stopping it in that moment might have actually robbed Kevin Holland of a finish. We don't know how the fight was going to play out. But my, my only issue with it all is the moment afterwards when all the officials kind of gather around like this, this like secret meeting that no one can be a part of, and they all start like covering their microphones and yeah. stuff. And like this, like, because like there was a moment where like it, it's clear what happened, right? There was a clear clash of heads. They put the 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 undercover police car light on the side of the cage, so so we knew that they were going to review the footage, and we saw the clash of heads. So immediately in that moment, you make the call, right? Okay, it was a clash of heads. It affected the outcome of the fight. It was an accidental shot. It's a no contest. No one's disqualified. No one wins the fight. We reset. We go again. The same thing happened with one of my guys on Cage Warriors the other day. An accidental eye poke. It's a no contest. We just run it back. The bit that I, I get confused about was where they're like, there's this like, like you'll see it on, on Fight Pass, like there's this kind of weird camera angle where Ratner's looking over his shoulder at the cameraman, like, dude, you should go away. And like Herb's like covering his mic and whispering to Mergliotta. Like for me, that is a public conversation. Yeah. Like that is like, that's all in paper. That is, 
standardized protocol that we know exactly how that should play out. There's no secrets and opinions. And like there was one point where, where Herb covered his mic and he said, you know, well, what would, how, how could you sleep? Like what, like based on what could, what could Dan Mergliotta do to make him feel good about the situation? Like there's no, there's no opinion based uh, decision right, making. In right. It. Your right? feelings shouldn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> No, exactly that. It, it's like, this is something that we need to nail down with officiating. And of course I've been the, I've been the man flat flogging the dead horse on this and people are sick of hearing me say it, but there are big gaps in officiating where no one's saying anything, nothing's being fixed. Like the other week we had Herb Dean step in and he always does the wave off at the end of the round and then waits for his, waits for the fighters to get back up to their feet to check whether they can continue the next time around. The waving off is the end of the fight. It's not the end right. of the round. Yeah. Right. So that confusion there immediately is, well, is the fight over? Is he waiting to see if he's all right? And, like the fighter was helped back to their stall the other week and there's just no standard protocol. And this is what's going to catch us, you know, kick us in the ass at some point when something does go wrong, because they'll say, well, what is the standard protocol? And then there'll be like 10 different versions of it and no one will know exactly what they should be doing. I, you know, the way I've said it, and it was like with the, you know, the Peter Jan Aljamain Sterling fight, whenever we see a foul, it reminds me of, uh, I know you're a, you're a, I know when I quote Reservoir Dogs, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? You're, you're a Tarantino oh, fan, are you not? All right, so so when they ask, uh, you know, d- does anybody see what happened to Mr. Blue? And he goes, and Mr. Blonde goes, well, he's dead, he's alive, or the cops have him, or they don't. And I feel like that's what goes in my head. I'm, I'm dead serious every time I see a foul. They can be disqualified, it can be a no contest, they can keep going, or it's over. Like, or it's a knockout. Like, I literally have turned to people in broadcast and go, it's one of these four things. I've seen all of them in this same situation. It is a coin flip three times, and that's it. And I shouldn't be in that position. You know what I mean? Like, like no commentator should go, no, hey, Tony Romo, that's, that's holding. What's going to happen now? Tony Romo would go, it's 10 yards, same as it is every time. Other times a holding call, you know? Like, but we don't have that, and, and that can be so frustrating, trying to explain that yeah. to the fans, right? I absolutely agreed. And I know you and I, we've had this conversation um, in, in private in the past. Yeah. One of my favorite boxing matches of all time is Julio Cesar Chavez against Meldrick Taylor. Amazing. Where he was undefeated going in. He lost pretty much every round going into the 12th and it was stopped with, what, 10 seconds left? Yeah. And they interviewed the referee and it was just so matter of fact. He's like, I don't care what round it is or what time's left on the clock. If I see a fighter that can't take any more punches, I'm stepping in and stopping that fight, right? Like that for me was perfect officiating. My, my issue that we've got at the moment, which keep, keeps going on, keeps happening, is that we're going like, and, and this is something else that's not been discussed either. I don't like the fact that now we've got big clocks on the corner posts because now it gives everybody a point of reference of how long's left in the round. Like if you've got someone on the bottom taking an absolute pound in and the referee can see just over their shoulder this 10 seconds left, uh, he'll, he'll let him take another 10 seconds. But if there was a minute and 10 seconds left in the round, he might stop it. Yeah, You know, there is a point of difference, like, well, we'll let them survive to the bell. Okay, so then let them survive to the bell. But then what happens on the bell? We have a 10-second read. Does that person get back to their feet? If they don't, the fight's over. No one can touch them. Cutman can't work on them. The uh, corner team can't help them back to their stall. These are clear things that we don't see happening. CB Dollaway against Murtaz Aliyev, he got, he got his face pounded into the canvas. It still says UFC on one side of his face now. Like, he didn't move for another 30 seconds after that fight. No 10-second protocol w- was gone through. Um, same thing with Cowboy when he got knocked out uh, knocked out on the bell against Masvidal. Like, he was sat on his stool staring through Greg Jackson. He had no idea where he was. 
that's that's the point where we need that protocol because what we've learned from boxing is that it's not the single shots that do the damage it's the consistent pounding of an already concussed brain right yeah. so what we need to do is if somebody gets back to their stool or they get to the end of the round and they can't get back to their feet that's the fight over what one of my other favorites i watched it the other day because i remember at the time see i have two hats that i wear jimmy and yeah. and you'll you'll feel the same because you've been in the cage as well as sat out yeah. on the outside as a you know a custodian of the sport in one in one part of my head, I'm like, yeah, pound that dude into the canvas. We we want to do as much damage to these guys as possible. That's my coach fighter head. If I go if I go my MMA ambassador head, I'm like, okay, we need something in place here to protect these guys. Not now, not in a year's time, in 15 years time when Brian Ortega can't remember his name. You know, that was that yeah. same situation. He was held back to his stall at the end of the round. Of course, he was tough enough to go on and keep fighting, but that's where the real damage is happening. And that's where we're going to see a difference, not not in you know a year's time when the pay-per-view money's still coming in, but in 15 years' time when you know everyone's forgotten that he was even a UFC fighter. Uh, speaking, of course, to Dan Hardy, honest as always. That's why I love talking to him. I got to ask you, man, about something making the news now. Uh, you and Tyron Woodley going back and forth. Take me back to the beginning. Did you guys have some kind of interactions before this whole thing about him and Jake Paul came up? I know you had called his fights before. Was there anything between you guys before this all came about? You know, th- there was a while ago, but see, I, I don't, I don't ever say anything. I don't ever say anything with the intention of really upsetting somebody, and not, not, not since my fighting days. Like Marcus Davis, right. yes, that was intentional, but. Since I've been an analyst, since I've been working on the other side, I've, I've, I'm just matter of fact. You know, if I see something, I say it how it is. And my criticism of Tyron Woodley in his title defense days was that he just didn't want to fight. You know, like he, he was he, he was coasting up against the fence. He was holding back. He was waiting. He was stalling. And they were just frustrating fights. And, and it, it annoyed me at the time because he was talking about him being the greatest welterweight of all time right after the era of GSP, who was a different fighter entirely. You know, I... I, I, it, to, in a nutshell, I'd made a comment about the fact that he didn't really like fighting and it yeah. stuck in his brain and he never let it go. <laughs> and we worked together once in, in uh, Canada and, you know, we got on fine. We worked on the desk together and everything. But I, I, don't, I don't know whether he think that that, that ca- kind of casual nod as he got in the in the car on the way to the arena was us like resolving anything. I mean, I have nothing against him. It's him that's upset about what I've got to say. Right. And, and that's all it was. I mean, you know, like as soon as he put that thing out about the tattoo on his finger, like, we, we, we've got tattoos. We know what tattoos look like. We know that that was, a, that was black pen that he'd written. Very on true. Thing. Right. Right. No, anybody that's got a tattoo knows that it's got like a green tint to it. Once it's under your skin, it, it doesn't look like black ink sitting on the, on the surface of your skin. It was just, so anyway, I made a, a bit of a joke about it on right. Twitter as I am one to do. I do like to prod occasionally for, you know, why not? Especially if I know someone's going to buy it. Right. Which <laughs> like, you know, Tyron Woodley is every like, time. Okay. Right. You, you, you look like a guy that likes fishing. You get it. You want to get. Doesn't bug me at all, dude. You know that. <laughs> so anyway, he bit straight away. So I, then I wrote on my finger, it's 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 a pen. You know, it's written in pen, and then took a photograph of that. And he just he, he just got really upset about it. Obviously, he's trying to pretend that he's got a tattoo. I poked a hole in it, and then he must have felt like Twitter was coming down around him because everyone was laughing about it. And then he started sending me private messages. And I don't see the point in sending me private messages because there's nothing that you're going to say to me in the DM that I wouldn't say to you in, in a public right. tweet. So, you know, come on, you're, you're a rapper. Where are your bars? Like his banter was terrible. He had nothing to come back at me with. So I was just, 
I was back and forth in him like I would with a troll that's that's entertained me for, for the afternoon. And he, he he got very offended by it. So, I mean, the thing is, I, I don't think he, I, I don't know as he think, I think he thinks I'm just going to sit on the outside and say nothing. But I know people have contacted his management about getting a boxing match between us. So if you don't think I'll back it up, then he's a fool. Um, I, I'm quite happy to fight Tyron Woodley under whatever rules he wants. I That's- didn't say it. If, go on. That's exactly what I wanted to ask, man. There's got to be something in the air about you guys having a boxing match or something to settle it, yeah? Of course, of course. I mean, you know, if he shows up, if he shows up even twice as, as, as good as he did against Jake Paul, I'm going to stop him in two rounds. He just doesn't have the work rate anymore. He doesn't have the confidence to go anymore. And I get it. You know, it does pass you by. But at the point when, when I mean, <laughs> I'm probably sounding a bit hypocritical here because people are going to say the same thing. It's been nearly 10 years since I fought. But in my head, I'm never going to retire. Like you speak to Conan Silveira, he's never going to retire. Ensign, in a way, that guy will never retire. He's you know, the it's, same, it's but yes. an old school mentality. We're martial artists <laughs> and we're always ready, right? Right. So I'm always happy to fight, whether it's now or when I'm 65. If there's an argument between me and somebody else, I'm always going to back it up. Even if I think I'm going to get my ass kicked, I'll still step in there and, uh, and give it my best account. Um, but, you know... I, who doesn't love fighting? I love fighting. I'm back in uh, back in training camp now, and I've, I'm getting my medicals done. So I'm looking at what offers are on the table. And if one of them's got Tyron Woodley's name on it, then I'd be more than keen to sign it. Uh, Dan, I got to say, and I said this before you were on air, I'll say it after, one of my favorite people in MMA. You're an absolute gentleman, ton of fun to work with. Hope we get to do it again, my brother. Thanks for your time again, man. No worries, man. Always good talking to you. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here from WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more. We talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156 victorious last Saturday over Mike Breeden by knockout minute 20 seconds. Alexander the Great Hernandez. How you doing, my man? Hey, brother. Doing well. Appreciate the intro, man. Hey, no problem at all, man. So how did it feel getting that win? Um, Win one, lose one since Donald Cerrone, but getting back on track with not just to win a big knockout, an early one, got it done quickly. How did that feel last Saturday, man? Yeah, you know, they all feel great. You know, I know better than to take them for granted. So, um, you know, I was, I was certainly uh, pleased, pleased with the performance, grateful for it, but um, definitely um, definitely a feeling of unfulfillment, you know, in the following days, like like, like even a day, you know, um, I, want, I want more. I, I just want more. Uh, more volume, more activity, more victories, uh, more names. Tell me a little bit about that, man, about, about that. You know, it, a lot of times it's, it's kind of a come down as a fighter, right? You, you get a win, that's yeah. great. But there's almost this sense of, okay, when's the next one? You want to keep the momentum going. I don't want to – I'll be honest with you. I, I've said this before, and I, I don't mean this as a negative. Um, I say to understand fighters, you almost have to understand addiction because fighters are addicts, addicts and winning's the drug, and, and we'll do anything to get it, and we'll sacrifice ourselves, we'll sacrifice everybody around us to get it. It's a similar kind of feeling, man. Is that a, is that a good analogy for it? Yeah, you know, for, for, many, for many, I think so. Um, I, I, I don't think you're wrong with that at all. I, I, don't feel, I don't feel that, though. I almost didn't even feel it, you know, in the cage. It was, it was purely professional, purely objective. 
I just I need more. Like I I, I need yeah. to to climb the ranks. Like I in a sense of career. You know, I, I can't I can't keep doing this this two fights a year. You know, business. I need a I need volume. I need I need I need to go make a statement. I felt like. Uh, I felt like I got shortchanged in my my prior fight against Moises. I thought that we won the fight. My whole corner did. You know, I wasn't sure how the commentators were seeing it, but but I, I truthfully, you know, I truthfully believe that I did enough to um, to get that W. But but I left that feeling shooken and dissatisfied because when you, in, in my whole heart, I expected to get my hand raised at the end of that fight, and then I didn't. And so, and, and I'm a pretty objective person, and and I was um, I was just kind of you know shocked and displaced and you know i was like man ne- never again you know i'm i'm never gonna have a lack of intensity or physicality in here again and uh and we went to work and, and we just kept working and working and expecting something to come sooner um it didn't come till october you know and so uh my manager told me after this fight you know there, there might be some other opportunities but we're gonna have to take it on two or three week notice and i said that, that that's fine. You know, give me give me one night to be an asshole, and then after that, I'm I'm done. I'm good. I'm good to come back to the game. I wanna I wanted I want it to happen again before the end of this year. Uh, I'm open to anybody. You know, now I'm getting more general matches. Where in the beginning, all I got were you know top fifteen opponents. So I am starting to I am really growing up in the UFC and really uh, developing myself and my game in there. And, and and I'm comfortable there, man. I I'm kind of at a point to where I'm trying to exhibit the composure I want. Uh, the discipline I want in the cage, and uh, and I'm ready for for whatever challenge. But but certainly I, I just want to get get my volume up, you know, in the year. So the, the last nice, time, so we just need more. Yeah, the last time you had three fights in a year was 2013. What has been the reason for the the as you said the the two fights a year? Has it been you? Has it been the UFC? What what's been the issue with that? With that relative inactivity. Yeah, it could have been it could have been me prior to the UFC just with life. Uh, you know, yeah. I did I did a mortgage business there for a bit and decided you know I had that mortgage business. And I had that quarter life crisis, and you know I was like, okay, I'm, I'm quitting this job. I'm going all in. And then you know we got the call to fight Darius shortly thereafter. But because of the way I entered coming in and, and taking out um, Darius for my debut, when you're at the top of the heap, your fights come less regularly. So because they're arranging them uh, more specifically, you, you, you know, you've got a shorter list of names and then you're kind of waiting to see how they all fall into place. And they were really testing me out the gates, just seeing how, how hard can we push this kid, a bit, uh, you know, essentially. And, and I was, you know, I, I was fine accepting fights further in between because I came in so hot and so high on the, on the ranking boards that I was like, man, I'm not ready to fucking be here, but, but I, I need a, you know, I need to be, and, um, and, and we need to, we need to grow greatly in between fights. So getting the, getting the time between fights was perfect. Now I feel like I'm at a point to where, Hey, I've evolved a lot. I've gotten a lot better. I'm way better than the kid that even, you know, took out their use. And I, um, I, I, I need to maximize this. I need to maximize this potential. I need, I need to start getting in the cage. So, uh, I'm, I'm trying to push for it and they're supposed to be giving you at least three, three a year, but it just doesn't, it doesn't often pan out like that. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, talking, of course, to Alexander Hernandez. Valuable performance last Saturday. A real up-and-comer knocked out uh, Mike Breeden in a minute and 20 seconds. What's the difference between you and a Mike Breeden, a guy who had done well at the local level, had a good record, but making his UFC debut? What does it do to you? What does it do to your skills spending some time in the UFC, taking on elite talent? Do you feel like that, 
that makes you just levels better than someone who hasn't done it, who hasn't had that big show opportunity? Yeah, absolutely, man. There's so there's so many miles that I've traveled from from then to now, my debut to now, and and he's going to have to travel them as well. And um, you know, a lot of the reason I won my first fight uh, was because of in, intensity. You know, certainly confidence, but intensity. And there you sh- didn't have that intensity. He, he wasn't prepared for that. And he, he, you know, he was certainly taken off guard. He was way too passive. And I, I, I planned on capitalizing on his passivity. I, I knew he'd be like that. I, I wanted to hit him as fast and hard as I could and then take the fight immediately into my hands. And, and going into this fight, you know, I was, um, I was prepared for a newcomer to, to try to do the same to me. So I started the fight exactly like I would have as a newcomer in my low stance and um, sprinted to him quick, let him make the irrational mistakes, let him be overzealous where in the past I would have been. Uh, and then I got to read for him. I got to see his range. I got to see uh, his, his angles of his shots, a uh, little taste of his power. I got to see what he wanted to throw. And then I can start going to work on him. And, and for me in getting ready for this fight or any fight since my last, I just, I've just been trying to prepare for, how would somebody beat me? You know, not, not necessarily looking at an opponent per se, but just looking at myself and saying, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the commonalities across our fights and, and the mistakes we're making? How do we get rid of those? And, uh, and one thing that, that came to the conclusion is, is, you know, I don't believe I'm the best at, at any single facet in the game, but I think I could be the best at blending, blending it all, because I'm, I'm damn good everywhere. And, uh, and I haven't been maximizing. I haven't been utilizing that in my fight. So like that was a spot. I wish I would have, I wish I would have, uh, pressed the takedowns better, you know, made the fight uglier, um, press him against the cage, just blended, blended striking with wrestling, with jiu-jitsu, with clinch fighting, with cage wrestling. Um, and so in this fight or even the Santos fight, I had, I had intended on that. And so I was looking for my fit-ins, looking for my wrestling options. And, and a lot of times with, um, Guys, you know, certainly younger guys, guys even in, you know, in the UFC up until a high degree, you know, the top 15, everybody acts a little different. They're, they're tighter on everything, but um, they're used to sort of a tick for tack pace. You know, I go, you go. I go, you go. Um, maybe there's less uh, acknowledgement of cage control. You know, where are we at in the cage? Uh, where's your back? Where's my back? How much control of the cage do I have? How much am I making you fight out of, you know, am I corralling you? And that was something that, I, you know, I first started getting uh, a taste of against Dober. And, uh, when, cause he, he changed his game after working with Gaethje and he took me by surprise with that, you know, he really evolved. And so, um, whenever I entered the takedown, I wasn't even for the whole attempt of, I need to get this takedown where a younger person might've been, you know, once they commit to something, they're committed. I'm, I'm not committing to any position. Every, everything's a sound attempt, so I'm not in danger. But I welcome the break. You know, I welcome the next exchange. And, and the whole fight, I, I wanted to be a, a master of the chaos. So uh, whenever we broke, I, I landed that big elbow. Well, now that that elbow landed, okay, now, well, now my twos are getting through. Now my calf kicks are getting through. Now, now the kicks are there. Now when I shoot again, he's going to faint hard, or, or he'll, uh, he'll defend even harder. It's going to open up the next shot. And so me chaining things together was something he probably wasn't as ready for. Um, and just an overall sense of cage ownership probably wasn't as ready for. What about 
losing in the octagon has made you better. You talk about stepping up against, you know, top 15 guys, which John Cerrone was the time you fought him. Drew Dober was another up-and-comer. Thiago Moises, very, very talented. Uh, coming up short against those guys, what does that do for you, and how does that propel you forward? How does that make you better? Uh, it, it ignites a fire in you, and, and essentially, you know, with, with any loss, uh, in anything in life, you, you know, you, you take it now and, and then you can either accept that position and just tuck your dick between your legs and wither into the dirt or, or you can, you know, get back up and, uh, and grow from it and, and, uh, and make that lesson, um, not only define you, but, but, but make you better. It has to make you better. Uh, it has to be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And if you don't use it like that, then, then what was the point of all that pain? You know, what was the point of all the anguish of it? So, uh, I I used those those losses to define me, and and I and I handled them. You know, I I handled them differently. Uh, every one of them, and, and certainly the the Moises one was nothing like any of the other ones. Again, that was one where I got done. I'm like, man, the maturity's there in the cage. We've got it. I felt like I was flat as hell today, and so I'm disappointed in a couple of things. But I still feel like we won the fight. Um, but I felt I felt just kind of a little different edge like a chip was on my shoulder feeling a little robbed and i just got to work man i, I just got i just got to work i've just been uh, in the dungeon working for like seven months or however long like i almost like i've just been in camp this entire time most people will cry about like 12 week camps and i'm like 12 weeks isn't shit like, you know I'll, I'll do a 12 month camp you know, you know i'm not i'm just not worried about it. it's just so it's just so second nature and that that's part of the growth too is that win, lose, or draw, I'm just going back to work on Monday. I even said that with this fight. And I was more anxious for this kid than I was Moises. I wasn't – I didn't care about him at all. And so maybe that was part of the reason I felt flat, you know. But I uh, – either way, you know, like the samurai, I, I'm, I'm just doing it for the sake of doing it. It's not even – it's not about all the glory and everything else. You know, win, lose, or draw, we're going back to work on Monday. So, so just go out there and go, go perform. Go, go to work. And, and I think to, when I carry a neutral face like that, I, I can execute better. Speaking to Alexander Hernandez, UFC lightweight, how do you balance that that idea of being a professional, I'm just going back to work, it's just another day at the office, with a passion for fighting? Meaning I've seen guys who are so yeah. professional that they don't really have that that charge. They don't feel that juice. They don't feel that yeah. excitement yeah, no, about right. fighting anymore. How do you balance that, man? And that, yeah, I, mean, I don't know, for me, maybe it was taking that L because that, that's the kind of approach I had in the mm. voice thing, and I did have a lack of intensity. You know, I did have a lack of intensity, and, and I felt like he was winning off of theatrics, you know, uh, flamboyant gestures and things. And I was like, man, there's no way this is selling to the judges because these shots aren't landing. But, uh, you know, it did. And so, so for me, I was like, okay, all right, we need more intensity. Let's have more intensity. And so that, that was the mental preparation thing. You know, that was something that I – I took in, and, and, and the pain certainly fuels that preparation. And so in this fight, I want to be professional, but I also need to have a high level of intensity. And that's, that, that's what I carried into it, and that's what I'm going to continue to carry forward. And so um, if, if, you, if you can get yourself there and remind yourself that's what needs to happen, uh, then do that. If not, then you, you take an L, and, and you, know, you won't forget it. Uh, tell me about that, that balancing act that you talked about earlier between – if you want a ranked guy, you see guys after you know after a big win, Leon Edwards is doing it right now. It's Kamara Usman or nothing. I'm not fighting anybody but Kamara Usman. Well, that means you're sitting on the shelf for quite a while, right? And if you'll fight yeah. anybody anywhere, you might end up in you know not as an insult, but in like a Cowboy Cerrone situation where 
He just fought anybody all the time. He was constantly fighting. He took a lot of L's because of that because he wasn't yeah. up for any one particular fight. He didn't have a lot of time prepared for any particular guy. How do you balance those two sides of the fight game, man? Well, I think a lot of it's being true to yourself too, right? You, you know, people have different goals in the game. Some people want to be the most exciting fighters in the world. Some people want to be, you know, the game bred. Some people want to be the champions. Some people want to be like the Kamaru's and um, and some people want a zero next to their, their L, and that's, that means more than anything. And so it's like, you know, I really need to handpick stuff. And I think whenever you lose some attachment to that, you, you gain a certain amount of liberation and freedom. But also there's a thin line to where you can't accept being a loser or accept losing, you know, because then, then, like you said, you lose that ferocity, you lose some of that intensity. And so, so it is a juggling app. A lot of it, a lot of it is knowing why you're there. And, and for Leon Edwards, his goal isn't to be the most exciting fighter. He, of course, wants all that. He wants all that to be byproducts. And if he does it right, it will be. You know, like Kamaru Usman, he got so much hate for so long. Now at the top, now he's knocking people out. And now, finally, he's getting some respect that he deserves, you know. And so uh, it'll, it'll come with W's. You know, GSP is another great example of that. But um, I, I, th- I think it's just... I, th- I think it's just aligning yourself, being very true with yourself and, and deciding, you know, why am I here? What, what am I doing this for? And, uh, and coach, that's one of the first discussions we have with coach, you know, coming on the team, you know, having open discussions like that. And I told him I want to be a champion. So, um, and, and, and again, we've all got different routes of how we got there. So we've all got to take kind of different steps. My, my road, I want the same thing as the Evans, but my road has to be different because, it's much more of a cobbled stone road than, than maybe what he's been walking lately. And where he's at, he certainly should wait for the belt because what is he on, like a nine-fight win streak or something? Yeah. So and, he, wait, and he's, just not, he's not getting yeah. the credit or the – yeah, he's not getting the credit, the respect for the belt because there's, there's just tastier cells like Colby Cummington and things like that. So uh, if I was him, you know, I would wait for it too because he's proven so much already. Now, there is a certain amount of shelf life that you don't want to overexert or overextend yourself on, you know, and so – he just got to be constantly reassessing it, but but where he's at, he does need the title shot, and and I would hope that it would come after this uh, Usman versus Covington fight. Alex, I appreciate your time, my man. Always cerebral, always great having you on. Best of luck in your next fight, man. I'll be rooting for you, bud. Thanks, brother. I appreciate the time, man. I'm glad it man. happened by phone interview too, dude. I look like a stepped on piece of bulgogi beef this morning, so <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> almost up, uh, boy. That Vegas didn't do me right. So. Unlocking I'm the cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. Special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And Sirius XM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. 